Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hello and welcome to the Finnovate podcast. Joining me today, we have Will Graylin, the chairman and CEO of OV Loop, also the chairman and CEO of Indigo Technologies. You may remember Will from his time on the Finnovate stage back in 2014. His company was called Loop at that point. It was a precursor to Samsung Pay. Uh, Will, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure, Greg. Thanks for having me. So for obviously, there's a lot to cover here. I typically like to give guests about 60 seconds to introduce themselves, talk about their background. We'll see if 60 seconds is enough. I know there's a lot to cover, but can you talk a little bit about your perspective and where you're coming from here? So um, in terms of my background for, for your um, listeners, I've been, I've been a serial entrepreneur um, up until now, <laughs> certainly have become a parallel entrepreneur, but I'm currently running my fifth and sixth company. My previous four were all acquired by large publicly traded companies, including the last one being uh, LuPay, acquired by Samsung Pay. And, um, you know, my, uh, my entree into the fintech space actually happened after I, I sold my first company out of MIT and very naively wandered into the payment space, thinking that I was going to build a mobile wallet at that time. But little did I know how complex the payment space was and then just pivoted that technology towards mobile POS when web 1.0 was still going on. And then when web 2.0 and smartphones came along, um, we then, you know, had that company was, that company was sold to Verifone. And then uh, when web 2.0 came about, I stayed in the POS space and uh, moved to in-app POS. And um, Rome Data was the company's name. And from that point, um, we basically adapted to smartphones and then that company was eventually um, acquired by Ingenico because it became the largest um, reseller of Square-like solutions to everybody that was competing against Square. So we sold millions of POS to merchants um, through our distribution partners. And 10 years after that, lo and behold, I still looked at the mobile wallet space and nothing was really happening. Uh, and that was because the point of sales weren't ready to accept those mobile wallet solutions. Uh, NFC weren't quite there yet. This is now late 2012 into 2013. So by the time I arrived on stage at Finnovate in 2014, we had actually developed a solution that did not require uh, merchant POS to change to the new NFC technology. We could actually backward adapt to existing MagStripe technology. So we launched LuPay, and that company was acquired by Samsung, became Samsung Pay. So Long and short of it, um, I have been effectively in the fintech space looking at point of sale and wallets for close to 20 years. So <laughs> that's, that's been exciting. It's, it's very impressive. I mean, you could make the case that you are tap to pay in the fintech space right now with the experience that you've got. Um, and so I, what I want to do, I'm really curious about this. Obviously, you've seen this industry. You've been active here for quite a while now. And I want to start with a kind of, you know, really basic question, um, you know, from the, the standpoint of the general public. 
adoption has not been as fast as a lot of people in the fintech space has thought thought that it might be. And even with the pandemic, which has accelerated contactless payments, you know, there's still reports uh, that, that vary out there. But the, the consensus seems to be that somewhere around 50% of smartphone users haven't ever turned that feature on the tap to pay feature in their mobile phones on, let alone, you know, using it on kind of a day in day out uh, transactional basis. And, and I think my question is, what are people who aren't using this, what are they missing out on? Or maybe put it another way, what's in it for them if they do end up adopting it? Let's take it back to this really high level value proposition for that group. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And it's not just for that group, Greg. It's it's really for everybody that's involved, even the lead users and early adopters. So, you know, the question is, why haven't we adopted in, in much more mass given that... Um, you know, Apple Pay has been out for for over seven years, and Samsung Pay has has been out for you know about six years, and Google has been out there for seven years, uh, eight years now, even right. So, why haven't we adopted in mass? Uh, unlike what China's WeChat, WeChat Pay, Alipay, you know, for those solutions, they are adopted to the order of about eighty three percent of all all consumer transactions, whereas we're still in single digits uh, in the United States. Why? So I think there are multiple uh, aspects of answering that question, which is when the United States is letting consumers do payments pretty smoothly and pretty easily with cards today, incrementally adding and making that card available for a phone to tap and pay. If it's just by itself switching from cards to phone, the value proposition is still limited. And I think we have moved from web one to web two and, and, and for mobile and contactless payments, I think that certainly improves the experience and slightly improves that speed at the checkout but the value, I would put it as it has to be more value for, for both merchants and consumers for us to move ourselves to the next level of more frictionless commerce, what I call Web3 commerce. And where China has already moved towards what they call a super app. And we don't have a super app here in the United States. And super app is really more of a concept of more frictionless, more easy for consumers to be able to adopt and more easy for merchants to be able to accept. So both the point of sale and the wallet has to improve and to provide more value for both merchants and consumers for us to get to the next level. Sure. No, really interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. And I think we'll come back to this concept of a super app a little bit later on. But um, before we do that, I think one of the questions that uh, you, I want to dive into a little bit more is you know, we can talk about it from the fintech standpoint of what the industry needs to do to kind of bring people more more into the space. Um, but from uh, the other side of it, you know, there is still some hesitation that's out there on the part of people. You know, I, I pull out my phone. I like to um, you know use my Apple Pay when I can. I still get like odd looks. You know, it's been out there for seven years, as you said, but still people aren't comfortable with it. They don't necessarily, it, it looks unusual. It looks slightly odd. And, and my question is, where is this hesitation coming from? And this is obviously going to be more speculation than science, but what's your instinct say on you know why people still maybe aren't comfortable or maybe are hesitant to use that type of technology outside of, of course, there not being quite enough of a value proposition offered to them to bring them in there, as you already suggested. 
I, I would divide it into two groups. And there's a group that is more um, tech savvy. Um, they're more than happy to actually go and download the application, upload and go through the IDNB process and put their cards and their tokens inside of that mobile wallet and then go out there and, and try to use it. So for that particular group, uh, even for that group, it's limited in the number of places that's accepted today. So when you look at NFC penetration, it is still not ubiquitous. There are many places where NFC is just simply not accepted from retail locations, not just mom and pops, and, and uh, but also think about all the restaurants that are out there. People are still uh, not coming to your table with a, a POS as prevalently as like in Europe. So you're still pulling out your card, you're still laying it down. There are still restaurants and retail locations that have older POS terminals that they haven't upgraded, or if they have the new terminal and some of them haven't turned on the software. So net-net, because it's kind of a hodgepodge, um, what happens is those who want to use it don't always get to use it. Those who are on the fence, they start using it, and then it becomes um, spotty. So then they go back to their card and becomes muscle memory. And then for the group that haven't fully started, which is the second group, they're basically, um, there isn't enough motivation for them to overcome the friction of needing to download the app, train themselves um, to load the card, and then go out there and, and learn how to use it. So there's an inertia that still needs to be broken through. So when you divide it up into those categories of people, we haven't had enough momentum yet to to get to that you know double digit and, and mass adoption and, and certainly not enough to get uh, get over fifty percent. We're still a or single digit. <laughs> we're not yeah, yeah. No, we're a long way, right? We're a long way from 50% at the moment. Um, but I do, you know, I do sense that there is some momentum building. You know, if you look at the things, you know, and, and, and we are going to come back to the super app idea because I, you know, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm realizing that over the past couple of years, my phone has been doing more and more for me. It holds boarding passes to get onto a plane. It holds tickets to go to, uh, if, if I go to watch a, a soccer match at um, whatever they're calling CenturyLink Field these days, I think it's Lumen Field here in Seattle. Uh, by the way, go Sounders. Um, when I go to the game, I tap my phone to get in there. My, my tickets to the game are on the phone. My tickets to get on planes are on the phone. Even my loyalty rewards for Jimmy John's, which I don't use really as often as I maybe could, um, is, is on the phone. I can tap to pay to collect points there. And it's, it does kind of indicate that there are more companies who are playing with this technology, there are more people who are kind of adopting it from the merchant standpoint, from a business standpoint, and that's going to ultimately push people to um, use these tools more often. Hopefully, of course, they like these tools and they want to continue using it. But is this what you're talking about when you say super app? Because I get the sense that you're talking about something a little bit different from that, you know, as opposed to just being a storage place for any kind of tickets or passes or a card to be able to tap it to go. This is not really the super app that you're talking about. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more and what exactly you mean there? Sure, sure. And you're 100% right that more and more people are leveraging the, the mobile phone as a place to provide value, whether it's rewards, whether you know, it is credentials to be used. Um, that is very natural. And in fact, the, the COVID for the last year and a half has accelerated that adoption where more and more orders uh, are coming from uh, the phone. 
And and as e-commerce evolve uh, and digital commerce evolve in that direction, naturally people are going to look towards what are the most convenient ways to do things. But when I start talking about you know the super app, and you look at what has already been done in places like um, China with WeChat, the super app is actually a combination of a container to hold your credentials and your payment credentials are certainly part of it. It's also a messaging platform for you to interact with each other and also with businesses. And it's a place and a channel that allows the consumer to feel like they're in charge of their um, lives in such a way that they can choose which relationships they want. And they can, in fact, even reach out within the Super App to asynchronously chat and message the businesses to be able to have that, those interactions and to be able to have transactions, not only in the physical world that we see with tap and pay, but also in the remote world. So there are over a million mini apps within the WeChat app. So that means this super app in China is already achieving that, uh, that status, not only for payments, but also for interactions and for messaging. And then they further expanded upon that to be able to do, you know, everything from bill payment to, you know, getting insurance to ordering your taxi, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what basically reversing this, hey, I have my storefronts and you got to download this app and that app and you have to, to uh, have this login credential to, to, to my app here and then you go onto a web. So instead of me going to many different places, this is like bringing a mall directly to your, your phone, and then you get a chance from one app that has all of your credentials to be able to access all of these interactions and transactions with merchants. And it's flipping it the reverse way, and it's providing more value, more convenience, at the same time as allowing merchants to also you know, send you rewards and for you to ask questions for you to transact. And that is really providing a much more frictionless commerce experience. And it's great for the consumers. And of course, it becomes great for the merchants too. Yeah, and, and I think this is what, you know, thinking back to where we started this conversation, thinking what's it gonna take to bring people on board? Your, your initial response was there's not enough of a value proposition in some cases. With this app that you're kind of laying out, this idea of a super app, you can see now the value proposition grows for everybody in the picture. Um, and I think this is what it's gonna, I, I really think this is a unique perspective, what it's gonna take to be able to, to dominate the space. I'm conscious that we're running out of time. I think we have time for one more question here. And it's, uh, where is this super app likely to come from? Obviously the space right now, you've got three really huge names. You've got Apple, Google, and Samsung. have all thrown a pay after their names. It's gonna be difficult for anybody to to come in and kind of compete with juggernauts of that size. But where, where do you see is the most likely source for this kind of super app to, to be built? Will it be a fintech company? Will it be a tech company who kind of brings, uh, comes into the fintech space? Will it be somebody who's already out there? I'd really uh, love to hear your thoughts as we bring this to a close. So it, it's a great question. And in fact, um, this is exactly the area that OV Loop 
is driving towards. We have been building for the last three years to bring this next generation of omni-channel commerce and omni-channel commerce, uh, including omni-channel in-message commerce with the POS built in and with customer support built right in as well, if the merchant chooses, so that merchants and businesses can utilize this super app platform minus, don't worry about the app because you don't really need an app for the merchants to be able to interact and transact with their customers, utilizing the existing messenger platforms that they're already leveraging, which is email, text, um, and any of the other channels. They can uh, send messages through social and IVR phone calls. So in other words, we're providing the set of tools for merchants to be able to reach out to their customer base with a super app platform, their omni-channel messenger payments and rewards platform, I'll call it, so that they can create a better customer experience, better conversion and better loyalty Sure. I'm afraid we do have to to bring it to a close here. I hope everybody listening agrees that it's been worth it to hear Will's uh, vision of the future and what he's working on with OV Loop. I think it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's really fascinating stuff. And you can see the scope of where we're going with uh, tap to pay with mobile payments. And, and I think, um, you know, Will, I really do appreciate you sharing your thoughts on how we got where we are and, and what's likely to come next. And, and hopefully, you know, before too long, we'll see these numbers start to tick up. We'll see people adopting it. We'll see the uh, value proposition raised through companies like OV Loop. Um, and, and of course, ultimately, we'll see what the next five to 10 years does as far as people adopting the technology. But it's been a real pleasure chatting, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks again, Will. It's uh, my pleasure, Greg. And, uh, and I definitely hope to see more adoption of not only contactless payments, but overall uh, next generation web three type of commerce between merchants and businesses. And as you say, when the conditions are met to bring more value to merchants and more value to consumers, um, that's when some of the adoption can really take off. But until you can get to that boiling point, it's like water doesn't go through the phase change until you put enough energy into it to get to 100 degrees mm -hmm. Celsius atmosphere, of course. That's a great analogy to end on. Well, thanks again. We'll leave it there and look forward to seeing how it all unfolds. Best of luck to you and look forward to seeing as you guys get out into the market. Thanks again. Thank you, Greg. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening.